This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emrys, CPA with Parmelis & Associates. Thinking about getting an electric vehicle, does it qualify for a tax credit or not? It's a super common question that I've gotten for the last five, six, seven years, however long they've been out. And a lot of times even I have to ask myself the same thing, and it's my job. When they first came out, this credit was fairly easy. And electric vehicle, and you get the credit. Now there's so much more to it, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about this week. Before we get into it, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. Hey, did you know Napa Tracks is on-site training plus six days a week support? It all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business and how you run it. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Let us prove to you that Tracks is the single best shop management system in the business. Visit them online at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. Are you tired of writing ads that don't generate one good candidate? Introducing Promotive, a full-service staffing solution for your auto repair shop. Go beyond the job boards and let them find your next rock star. They are ready to do your heavy lifting. Visit them online at gopromotive.com. Are EVs the future ICE killer or just a subsidized industry bound for failure that's being pushed forward by government intervention? Probably somewhere in the middle for right now if you ask most people, and who knows what the future holds. There are so many different thoughts of, hey, you know, within the next decade or at least my lifetime, all internal combustion engines will be gone. While there's still a lot of manufacturers, Toyota specifically, that are committed to hybrid and feel that is the most logical, natural path forward. Who knows? We're not here to talk about this. We're here to talk about the tax credits, what we have right now, and what will we have in a distant future, or not so distant. And tax credits are often and sometimes overused in industries that don't make financial sense for the end user without government subsidies. This is the whole reason why we have EV credits. And some are tied towards environmental initiatives like EV, solar, wind. Other things are generally based on needs, like investing in impoverished areas, like opportunity zones, or hiring disadvantaged employees. In both cases, though, if the government didn't pay you, and a lot of times the manufacturers as well, they cannot operate as everyone would just lose too much money and it would just not make financial sense. Now, depending on who you talk to, even with these credits and subsidies, a lot of these programs don't make a ton of financial sense. The whole idea here is that if they subsidize it, get enough technology, get enough interest in these spaces, that they will no longer need to subsidize that. If you look at probably one of the oldest ones is wind-powered or maybe even solar, those are still subsidized to this day. And if they were not, they would not be economically viable and even now, with how energy efficient and homes have gotten, solar has not taken off like a lot of people have thought. Are electric vehicles doomed for the same fate? Who knows? Because there's a lot of argument that, hey, when EVs came into place, internal combustion engines just really weren't that fuel efficient. But even fairly basic internal combustion engines now are extremely fuel efficient in themselves. Is EV solving an economical problem that doesn't exist? Maybe not. That's why a lot of this has really been shifted not towards a money-saving venture like solar has been, but really more of an environmental cause. 
I know what a lot of you guys are thinking. Well, hey, the precious metals that go into batteries and every single circuit board in that car still have to come from somewhere. But again, not what we're going to talk about this week. I was just reading an article the other day that was mentioned Rivian. And for those of you not aware, Rivian is a fairly new electric vehicle manufacturer. And I think they only make trucks, but I could be wrong on that. But specifically on those trucks, they reported that they are losing, on average, about $30,000 for every single truck that they sell. And that's before the seemingly endless recalls have been popping up. But also a great example of even with government subsidies, this is still a very expensive industry. And early on, and possibly still now, Tesla was oozing, and sometimes a massive amount of money on each of the car that they put out. But there's other ways that they were able to sell their energy credits to other manufacturers. They were able to give them cash to burn, along with a billionaire owner, which never hurts the cause. Enough on the background of credits and why the government has credits. Let's talk specifically about these credits And really, I want you to be able to apply this for if you're thinking about doing an EV, maybe you've already bought an EV this year. Are you going to get the credit? For those of you that have already gotten it, that depends on when you got it this year. None of this is spent is supposed to be for 2022. 2022 has its own set of rules. And since I hope that you would have already got that figured out since the extended due date is probably right around the time this episode is going to come out. We're only talking about 23 and then a little bit on 2024 here at the end. Another caveat I have to put in, and you're going to hear me mention this a couple times, we are recording this in October of 2023. I almost guarantee you that if you listen to this episode, even in April of 2024, this probably is not still relevant in every aspect because they are constantly changing this. Okay, with that caveat out of the way, let's talk about 2023. And this is the rule for new vehicles. We'll talk about used vehicles in a second, but this is for new vehicles bought in 2023. Are you going to get the credit? If so, how much is it going to be? Right off the bat, it gets a little bit weird because I not only need to know if you bought an electric vehicle in 2023, but there's a big date I need to know if it was before or after. So if you bought a vehicle January 1st through April 17th of 2023, you're going to have one set of rules. If you bought that vehicle on April 18th through the end of this year, you're going to have another set of the rules. All right. So keep that in mind. There is essentially two parts of this year, which are going to change how you qualify for the credit and how much of a credit that you're going to get. Arguably the before April 18th of 2023 is a little bit more simple. So the base credit, if you don't meet any of the other requirements, which is very rare, is around $3,700. Now, the maximum credit is 7,500 hours. Now, the big thing on how you go from the base credit to the max amount of these credits on 2023 all has to do with the amount of kilowatt hours the car generates. From what I've seen, most popular current EVs on the market just blow this out of the water. I think that the base amount, it has to be at least five or seven kilowatt hours and maxes out at a certain point. I looked it up here before, you know, I kind of put out a ridiculous statement. I'm not a huge EV guy, you know, so I just don't know a whole lot about kilowatt hours. I'm not sure if that's a common knowledge. Hey, maybe I'm behind the times. Who knows? But from when I looked it up, even the new Model Y, I think was at like 100 kilowatt hours, which is already like 80 kilowatt hours more than what you need to get the max credit. 
Assuming that you have a qualified vehicle, there is other stipulations on how many manufacturers have sold and other things like that. The base credit goes up to 7,500 hours and virtually, like I said, any passenger car or truck on the road right now that's getting sold will have enough kilowatt hours to get the max credit. I'm going to tell you this. If you are unsure about this, go online. The government actually has a very good website, fueleconomy.gov, which is a hilarious website name for when you're getting EV credit information, right? The whole thing is based on fuel economy, which these cars have no fuel, but hey, that's enough of that. Anyways, you can go on there and tell it the day you place in the service, the make, model, year, and all of that to see if you get a credit for a vehicle that you already have, or also do some research on a vehicle that you're looking to buy. And again, I'm going to warn you again in this later in this episode, I have had clients burned by this. Do not trust a car salesman without double checking their information, right? Now, most of these car salesmen are very good because it's part of their sales pitch on this, on how you get the EV credits and stuff like that. But there's some stuff we're going to talk about here in a second that they just would not know if it qualifies to you or not. And also, do you think that a car salesman might ever, I'm not going to say lie here, they would never lie. But maybe blur the truth a little bit here just to get you to sign on a dotted line. Hey, no offense to my car salesman out there, but I'm sure it could happen. Do your own research. Check out fueleconomy.gov. Fairly straightforward for January through April 17th is base credit and pretty much everyone's going to get the max credit as long as it's made by a qualifying manufacturer and a couple other little bit more obscure things. There is some major fundamental things that you have to meet that we're going to talk about here in a second. But I want to talk about how this changes on April 18th going forward. And as of right now, these rules after April 18th of 2023 are going to be the same rules that are going to apply to 2024 and going forward. Gone are the kilowatt hours because like I said before, those kilowatt hours have changed slightly since they first came out with these credits. But more or less, these have been exactly the same for a long time. And the first one that I remember seeing for a client is going to be the Chevy Volt and I think the Nissan Leaf. Those were two big ones that came out pretty early on. Now, when those came out early on, they had nowhere size the range of the battery power that what we're seeing nowadays, which is why it was a thing. But even back then, I think the Chevy Volt qualified. Now, Chevy Volt is not very popular because they sold a bunch of them. So some of those credits got phased out. Also, it's kind of funny. Now, they took the sign down, so they must have solved this or people no longer drive them. But there was a big sign when you went into the parking garage at the airport um, in Baltimore that said, you're not allowed to park Chevy Volts in the garage because they did have a small issue with those batteries catching on fire. But anyways, back to what we were talking about. Kilowatt hours is gone because the government realized, hey, this is not any sort of limiting factor. It's essentially silly that this is even a requirement because it's such a blow right past it type thing for all of these cars out there. Instead, what they did is they essentially split this credit in half and said, you can get this credit as long as you meet these other stipulations what we're going to talk about here in a second. We don't care about the kilowatt hours. We really care about where you got the critical minerals and where you got the battery components to make this vehicle. And you can look it up this online. And I'm going to extremely kind of oversimplify this, but just to give you a general idea. Because like I said, if you're really doing this, episode is not meant to see if this specific Rivian or Tesla or whatever it might be qualifies for the credit. I want to talk about kind of the more foundational idea behind this. Napatrax was built from the ground up to make your business more profitable and efficient. They provide an extensive set of tools to increase and track profitability in real time. 
NapaTrax offers the industry's best post-sale support hands down. They train your people on site. Yes, on site. They also offer remote refresher training 10 times a week and customer support is open six days a week. Give them a call, visit them, or join our Facebook community today to learn more. They'll prove to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. NapaTrax is always customized and tailored for your business, whether you're a one-man shop or a large multi-bay or multi-location company. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Visit us on the web at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. Is your recruitment process draining your valuable time and resources? What if there was a partner who could take your recruitment efforts off your plate? Look no further. Promotive is your ultimate solution for hassle-free staffing focused solely on the motive industry. On the web at gopromotive.com. Promotive understands the challenges you face when searching for the perfect technician or service advisor for your shop. That's why we've developed a platform that takes the hassle out of recruiting. Michelle Tanzi from Euroclinic said, I am a shop owner and recruiting new talent is so time-consuming. Promotive does the majority of the seeking and recruiting. They reach out to the candidates for you and when they feel they are a good match for you and culture, they make the connection. They follow up throughout the interview process and we make sure that the candidates are a good fit and the shop is a good fit for the candidates. I admire that they genuinely want both parties to win. They recruited and paired us with a solid B-Tech and Master Tech. Both left a dealership position and are still part of our team. We are very happy with the character and culture match, and both technicians have become valuable team members. Visit our website at gopromotive.com today and join the growing community of shop owners who have found their ideal team members with Promotive. The critical minerals requirement that makes up $3,750 of this credit goes like this. Essentially for 2023, 50% of the critical minerals in a vehicle have to be mined or acquired inside of the United States or in a country that has a free trade treaty with the United States. Now tell me that has anything to do with the tax credit and not some bargaining chip for international trade. Hey, it is what it is. Who is someone that has free trade with the United States? I'm not really sure, and it's very hard to get this information, but I'm telling you who doesn't, and it's China, and with some of their new things, probably Venezuela as well. Who has the largest lithium mines in the world and also sites globally? China. And so this is the major thing here, that they're trying to get away from this. They're trying to push the manufacturers to get some of the mineral components, but they need to have at least half of them from approved sources. If you don't have half of them from the approved source, you are not going to be able to get this portion of the credit. Right now, it's 50%. And going forward in 24, 25, 26, 27, it appears that they're going to increase that percentage every single year till at some point, 100% of the materials have to come from the United States or an approved source outside the United States. Even if you check off that box, you're only halfway there on the credit. The other thing is the exact same idea that the battery itself or the components of the battery have to be manufactured in the United States or have final assembly in the United States. Again, such a tricky thing. And any of you that have looked into the whole made in America, you know, label on a lot of stuff, made in America doesn't mean the same thing for that stamp and for this program as you and I probably think, right? When I see made in America, I think of a factory that's getting raw material, assembling this, United States jobs, keeping it all in-house. 
what they're talking about here is final assembly. Essentially, if you have a Lego set that was made in China, but you assembled that Lego set in the United States, that would qualify for made in America. It was not manufactured in America, but final assembly took place in America. Very similar idea to what they're talking about here for battery components. Again, doesn't all have to be in America. Right now it has to be up to 50%. And just like the critical minerals, that is going to continue to increase in the near future. This idea of it, I think is pretty smart. You know, the critical minerals idea is a little bit strange because we know that we don't have this kind of reserves. And arguably, you know, a lot of this mining is very not environmentally friendly. So I don't think we want to push to try and have this mining in North America, which I don't even think is possible. The battery component idea I can kind of get behind because right now, just like a lot of things, it doesn't make sense to make a lot of this stuff in America. Look at what's going on with United Auto Workers, which I think that strike might be over, but it costs a lot of money to manufacture stuff in the United States because of unions cost of living. Also, we do have environmental restrictions that a lot of other developing nations do not. And so when some of these manufacturers are looking at the choice of, hey, does it make sense for us to have this built outside the United States or bring the factories here? This is them to try and incentivize them bringing the factories here. BMW was one of the big ones that I know about. You know, they came and I think all X3s and X5 now have final delivery or final assembly in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I've heard talks about other ones bringing this. I think Kia or one of these manufacturers is bringing something to Charleston or something like that with the same idea. They know that they're getting stricter. Obviously, the big three have a big pull in United States politics. Are they going to try and make their cars better? Are they going to try to limit their competition coming from outside? Hey, they all do it, right? Go to any country, you're going to see a larger percentage of domestically made vehicles, sometimes because they're more viable, sometimes because they're better, a lot of times because the government makes it financially practical to do so. So again, this is just the credit itself, how they're created. Like I said, depending if it's before April 18th, after April 18th, there are some specifications specific related to the vehicle itself. And again, not something that you know, should know off the top of your head. Maybe not even something the dealer should know. Go to fueleconomy.gov, put in a car that you already bought or that you plan on to buy to make sure that they qualify. And if they don't, hey, I'm not saying you can't get the vehicle, but at least you're going with open eyes. Even if your vehicle does qualify, do you, and I'm pointing at you, the listener, actually qualify yourself? It's not the end of it. Hey, I got this car, it qualifies, it's good. All these parts were manufactured here. I'm good to go hunt. I'm going to count my money. Not so fast. This credit is not refundable for 2023. Meaning, if you do not owe any tax or you did not have to pay in any tax, you cannot get the money back. That does not mean, hey, hunt, I didn't get a refund last year, but I still paid in $40,000 in taxes. No, I mean, let's just assume you have no job no income, which means you have no taxes. You go out and buy an electric vehicle and think you're about to get 7,500 bucks back, you're going to get nothing back. Now, let's say that you paid in $4,000 in taxes or you owed $4,000 in total tax. You're not getting a $7,500 credit. You're only going to get 4,000. So the credit is limited to the amount of taxes that you owe. For most of my clients listening, for most small businesses out there, you should have enough tax there to get this credit. $7,500 in tax, more or less, if you're making enough to probably afford the vehicle that you're buying here, I would imagine that you have enough taxes. If you don't have enough taxes to get this credit, then I would probably argue, unless something weird happened that year, 
You might not make enough money to afford it, but hey, I'm not your accountant. Maybe I am, but take my advice if you want. If not, hey, go have fun in Tesla. Another specification is it can be an individual or it can be a business. But the big thing here on both of them is they say it is not for resale, which means you, car dealers. You can't go buy an EV and then say, hey, you know what, going to get the credit and turn around and sell it as used to someone else. You can always go buy it and turn around and sell it for use, right? I have a handful of people that are getting some of these more rare EVs just to flip, but that flip also kind of kills the credit. You can resell it. So let's say you get that EV, you get the credit for it, and you end up not liking it. You end up, you know, looking at something else, whatever it might be, you can still get this credit. The IRS doesn't say you can never resell these, or if you do, you have to give back the credit. The IRS always talks about intent. You cannot intend to resell it. Intent is very tricky to prove. Really what I tell people is we'd like to make it look as above board as normal. If you buy a car, claim the credit, and then you sell it the following month, it's not going to be a great argument. How did your needs, wants, ideas, whatever change in a month? Now, realistically, a lot of things happen. Maybe you went out and got this EV and you figured out that your kid was allergic to the leather in it. Who knows? Or maybe you got and just said, hey, you know what? I thought this, I was going to like it. I hate this freaking thing. I want to get rid of it. There's a lot of reasons why people get cars and turn around and sell them pretty quickly. Contrary to what you read online, even if you sell this, it's still fine. You can't just get this and turn around and plan to resell it. Or if you do, you're not supposed to get the credit if the IRS ever catches you. The big thing here for some of you is still kind of spinning the gears on how you can work this system. You can only get this credit once every three years. So don't think that you're going to be flipping these things and just printing $7,500. For this new credit that we're going to talk about here for 2024, eh, there might be some opportunity. But for 2023, that's probably out the window. Another thing here to consider, and this one has knocked out probably the most for my clients, is there are income limitations. If you are married and married filing a joint return, you can only make $300,000. Now, I shouldn't say only $300,000 is a lot of money, but for a lot of my clients, that's probably right around the average of most of my self-employed clients, maybe 250 to 275. If you had a great year, but the year before wasn't as good, as long as one of the last two years are less than this amount, you still qualify. But if your income last year was half a million bucks and you plan to be that much or more this upcoming year, don't worry about it. doesn't matter if you check the boxes for everything else, you make too much money, you're not going to get it. Now, if you're single, you essentially just cut that amount in half. It's $150,000. You make more than $150,000 in the last two years, no credit. You make higher than 150 in one, lower in another, you do get it. It only has to be one of those two years and it's the lower year that qualifies. I kind of like this one because some of these credits are extremely complicated. And if my client comes and asks a bunch of questions about it and I know they make a bunch of money, I say, well, hey, all of this is a moot point. You make too much money, so I wouldn't worry about it. And like I said, we'll talk about 2024 in a second, but it looks like those income limitations are here to stay, which I agree with. Why the heck am I giving an electric vehicle credit to some guy making $450,000 a year. If you want that car, go buy the damn car. I'm not going to pay for a portion of it, okay? Now, arguably, I don't really want to be a paying for a portion of anyone's car. You know what? If you're going to, if I'm going to give you 7,500 bucks to go buy that, give me 7,500 bucks to spend on my race car. It's only fair. 
Last one on here we're going to talk about is they do care about the MSRP of these vehicles. And this is kind of a funny one because anyone that follows the EV market know this MSRP really has nothing to do with what these dealers are actually selling these vehicles for. So if it's a truck or SUV or van, it has to have an MSRP of less than $80,000, right? I'm being very clear about MSRP, not how much you paid for this. For cars or everything else, it's $55,000 or less. It is not uncommon to have a vehicle with a MSRP of $79,000, but have a $30,000, what did they call it? Market adjustment or dealer markup. Essentially a you know additional charge on top of the MSRP. Doesn't mean that you can't pay $110,000 for a vehicle. It means that the factory MSRP has to be less than that. And as we've been seeing time and time again, not just for EVs, a ton of cars out there, a lot of dealers are selling above MSRP, wildly above it. It's only recently in the last couple of years, like in the last month, that I've started to see stuff where dealers are actually trying to sell below MSRP and get the stuff off the lot, which is just really funny. I mean, you know, when I guess I've been in the car market for what, last almost 20 years now, MSRP used to be kind of the starting point. It was always lower than that. MSRP at 80 grand. You knew you could get that truck for 70 or less. Or back then, I mean, 80,000 for a truck seemed ridiculous. Now, probably seems like a decent deal, but you get the idea. Now it's the exact opposite. Oh, you like that new Escalade for 90 grand? Yeah, it's going to be 140. And good luck finding a dealer to sell it to you for retail. They just won't. So that is the new car side. Even if the car qualifies, there's a chance that you don't if you make too much money or if you don't have enough tax or even if the car costs too much. Now, what about for used vehicles, Hunt? Used vehicles, it's a little bit more simple, but I also think that it's going to be a little bit harder to get. The reason why I think it's going to be a little bit harder to get is the car has to have a sale price of $25,000 or less. So you have to have bought the car for less than $25,000. Now there's ways that they can get around that. They could say, hey, we're selling you the car for 25 grand, but also there's eight grand worth of floor mats or shit in it. I don't know. I'm not going to guarantee that's going to happen. But $25,000 just seems really cheap for like a used Tesla. But maybe, again, I'm not in the market for it. Maybe they are going for that cheap. That seems like a really steep depreciation hit. Also, the car has to be two years old or more. Again. I think that is going to be a little bit harder as well, because essentially, if we're talking about 2023 model year, it has to be a 2021 model year or before. They just didn't make as many as they have right now. Two years ago, it could be a little bit trickier. Also, it seems like the technology on these is exponentially increasing on it. I think people wanting to get into the EV market, you might not be as likely to go get a uber, uber cheap EV years and years old. Especially for some of you that, you know, are keeping up on the repair side of this thing, used, dated EVs can be a little bit tricky to get service on depending where you live. One last thing on this one, the income limitation is much less. It's about half or it's literally half. So you can only make $150,000 or less for a married couple or $75,000 for single for this used vehicle credit. All in all, what is the credit? It's four grand. There's not as much stipulations on it. If it's two years old or more, you make less than 150 or 75 single, and you pay less than 25,000 for this used electric vehicle, you get the $4,000 credit. 
Like I said, I'm not sure if the income is going to be the tricky part, the sales price or what, but I haven't seen very many used vehicle credits yet. Now we'll see in this next tax season as more and more used vehicles start popping up, but it's out there. Again, do your research, make sure the car qualifies, make sure you qualify, or hey, again, if you want it, you might not get the credit. If that is enough to change your mind, so be it. Again, just do your own research here. So last one on here before we go into how this has all changed for 2024 is, okay, Hunt, I think I qualify. How do I claim this credit? Is this something that I do? Is this something that you do? Is this something my accountant does? How does this work? All in all, there's really not a lot that you need to do unless you file your own tax returns. You get a credit on your tax return. So you buy it today, you will receive a credit next April or whenever you file the tax return. If it's a business vehicle, you can also write off the cost of the vehicle as well, so it can be a really big deduction if played right. It's pretty easy credit to do. You buy it through the business. It's very hard for us to miss because we see you purchasing that. Personally, make sure that you tell your accountant because personal vehicles are not something that generally come up in tax conversations. There's not really any sort of deductions outside of these EV credits. Even if you got through your business, like I said, if you're one of my clients, we're going to see it. We probably already talked about it. We factored it into your tax estimate. If I am not your accountant, make sure you tell your accountant. They're not going to mind you reminding them four times because you'd really hate for them to miss this. This is a very big credit. Last real downside to this, though, is that can be a longer wait time. Let's say that you bought this vehicle on January 2nd. You have to wait, what, you know, 14, 18 months to get your money back on this. And this is how we roll into 2024. This is a big thing that the government did not like. And everyone, and Americans specifically, we want instant gratification. Man, 7,500 bucks, but I gotta wait a year. I'm not sure if I really feel like I'm getting anything here. And also, like I said, it's all my tax rents and non-refundable. What if I don't owe any tax? So for 2024, they just announced this. And this is like a couple of days ago that there will no longer be a credit on your tax return but something that can be paid to you as a down payment or straight cash at the time of purchase. For any of the early EV fans, you'll notice that this is similar to what happened early, especially with leased EV vehicles when they first came out. By doing this all of it at the dealership, the dealership fills out all the paperwork and they can either use that $7,500 as your down payment or pay the tax and registration on your vehicle, or they can literally write you a check for $7,500 so you have cash in your pocket. There's already been some talk about this, and I'm sure that they will probably try to kind of crack down on this. But if you've ever toyed with the idea of buying an EV, but just not sure and you don't really want to spend the cash, this seems like a really easy program. And I'm sure the dealerships are going to advertise for this. What I mean by that? Hey, they're giving me 7,500 bucks in cash. If I go to a dealership and I say, all right, I want the new BMW iX, full electric on it. I don't want to put any money down. What's my payment? And they come back and say, well, hey, I mean, at that point, who knows? 12% interest or something crazy of like what they're giving out now. Your payment's going to be about a thousand bucks a month. All right, cool. I get the credit. I want that in cash. Now I have 7,500 bucks in my pocket. I can pay that thousand dollar payment for the next seven months and I get my payment paid for, right? I drive that vehicle for virtually free as long as I'm charging at home and stuff like that. That I have a seven-month period, I realized that, wow, you know what? My daughter and my dog are both allergic to this vehicle. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to get rid of it. 
As long as it doesn't take a massive hit, and if it's a limited enough production, it probably won't, I could get my money back on this, maybe even make some cash, and have not spent any money on a monthly payment. I'm half joking here, but obviously people are going to try to push this. And if I've thought about this, I'm sure others have. And like I said, if you're a dealership, what a great marketing slogan. If you start using your dealership, just mail me some money. You know where I live. It's still early, but it seems like most of these other requirements will remain in place. But the biggest thing here is trying to get your money sooner. They're trying to stimulate purchases. They're trying to push people to buy EVs and make it more and more attractive to do. And in a lot of cases, make it less and less attractive to not buy an EV. Only thing that we know for sure, though, that they are going to change is that the mineral and battery requirements, remember I talked about before, 50% of it had to be made in the U.S. or U.S. source or U.S. final assembly. 24 right now is going to 60%, then following year 70, 80, etc. The only thing that we know for sure is exactly what I've laid out here and what we have in front of us. The frustrating thing is there's almost a guarantee that this changes even for 2023 before we even file these tax returns. One of the biggest frustrations that most people have with this program is they're trying to control so many aspects to change behavior that it's virtually impossible to quickly figure out if the credit is available for your vehicle for you and how much. And again, if you are planning to get an EV, I recommend, or I'm not even going to recommend, I'm going to make you go to fueleconomy.gov and do your own research. Like I said, don't take the dealership's advice. I've seen a couple people get burned by this already. A car dealer lying to get the sale? No way. All right. That was the last dealership joke I'll have. I apologize. But come on. A couple bad apples on it have given you guys a reputation. I at least have to joke about it a little bit. I hope this was helpful. Maybe this pushed you to get an EV. Maybe this said, you know what, Hunt? This is another great excuse on why I will never drive an electric vehicle. It all is way too complicated for me. But like always, please share with friends. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episode, please shoot me an email at podcast at So thanks again for joining me in the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening app. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.